Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. You can roll with that for the next hour and a half if you just want to. This is Oilers Now, Bob Stoffer with you, where guests receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff at Oilers, uh, that Oilers Now sent you. Roos Chris. All right, here you go. You could uh, text us at 630-630. Quantum Leap, we're getting some, uh, in terms of favorite TV shows. Uh, How about this? Uh, MacGyver was my favorite all-time. Great show, just like Oilers Now. That one comes to us from Ron. Uh, Richard and Devin says, what about Chips with the fantastic Eric Estrada? Loved it. Bob, what about Kolchak, the night... was it the Night Stalker? Was that there or Night? Anyways, I, I'm was it which one was with Telly Savalas? Oh, he was Kojak. But there was also a. Can you look this up? The, the, the I think it was Cole Shack, like K O C H L A K, and it was a. Uh, he was an anyways an investigative guy. Craig Simpson joins us right now from NHL Hockey and Rogers. How you doing, Craig? I'm good, thanks. Good. Uh, did you have a favorite TV show that, like, <laughs> when you guys put it this way, when you're in the in the Oilers room, circa 1988, uh, whatever it was, 92, 93, 93, 94. What, what was there a TV show you guys talked that all the guys on the team watched back in the day? God, I can't even remember my eras now. I I, I remember as a kid. Um, you mentioned like I was watching Happy Days and Fantasy Island. And, yeah. Uh, Magnum P.I., Tom Selleck, uh, you, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I've never been, uh, growing up as a kid, we didn't even have cable till I think I was about 14. So um, we weren't very much into that. But, uh, no, the, all the ones you were mentioning, you mentioned Kojak and Beretta and yeah. Streets of San Francisco. and Michael Douglas, I loved, yeah. I liked uh, Quincy, Actually, oh yeah, Jack Klugman. Uh, yeah, Jack Klugman. I uh, that was one that I would definitely watch. No, he was in the Odd Couple before that. Yeah, Odd Couple before that. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of good classics for sure. No, it's hard to it's hard to get the timing right of what year and how far back each of them went. They all kind of melded together. Do you remember <laughs> the Odd Couple, where so he got uh, some career advice from Felix? And he ended up doing Monday Night Football with Howard Cosell. And at that time, those guys were the biggest deal in broadcasting, right? Uh, With Danny Don Meredith and Howard Cosell and Keith Jackson initially as the play-by-play guy. Uh, But anyhow, bottom line here is uh, the, the, the story was that Danny Don's personality outshone sort of the uh, the creative genius that was Howard Cosell's ego. Yeah. And so in the in the show, they had Jack Klugman going on the air insulting Howard Cosell. And the joke was he'd done the one thing that was impossible. He turned all of America in support of Howard Cosell, <laughs> right? So yeah. that was one of the ones I remember back in the day uh, with the odd couple. Texas at 630, 630. Bob Stoffer with you on orders. Now, and Craig, uh, ironically enough, uh, last year's Bell Let's Talk uh, 
yeah. day. It was on a Wednesday as well. We spoke to you a bit, and everybody has a, a personal connection to this. But this is something that could you have even fathomed? And, and you know, look, you're with Rogers Sportsnet. It doesn't yeah, matter. It doesn't we support. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. We support each other on, on <laughs> things like this. But could you even imagine, as a player, twenty to twenty-five years ago, having? Because you had guys going through difficult times yep, back then, for sure. And it just there were there just weren't avenues for players at that stage, or were there? No, no, I I don't think there were uh, uh, in relative terms to today, for sure. There weren't for players. Uh, I think there were some avenues open for players, but I think the players were much more hesitant to open up and say. You know, if you went for help, you were worried about what that influence would have on your position with the team or your, uh, you know, your spot in the lineup. So I, I think so much has changed in the appropriate way with that. You know, when you think of it back then, though, forget about somebody on a team that's, you know, sort of uh, taken care of. There's only 20 people on a team. And, you know, you think of all the companies around uh, town and around this uh, country and the world that, uh, are huge conglomerates that everybody gets lost. I think that, to me, is what's more uh, positive, is that around the world, and certainly with this initiative in Canada, um, you know, getting people in the workforce who are struggling at a job, who are one of 5,000, you know, uh, employees, that finally feel maybe there's somebody they can talk to, and they're not afraid to lose their job, or they're not afraid to be looked upon in a different way. And, you know, I, I think... From an athletic uh, athlete standpoint, it's great to have the support because you're under the gun. But everyday workers who are going paycheck to paycheck and got stresses, uh, I think that's where it's so inc- important to have, you know, just a wide uh, felt influence on people to let them know that there is somewhere that they can turn, and it's not a bad thing to show that you that you need some help. And I think that's something that's the most positive. Uh, you know, I remember reading Melville's Bartleby the Scrivener, right? And it just, I, I mean, it's way out there. It's probably too uh, esoteric of a reference, but just in terms of people dealing with challenges and, you know, that was something that, you know, writers were talking about a hundred years ago in terms of things. So it's a, it's certainly a, a different perspective and it shows you how far we have come and we have to continue going uh, down this path as well. All right, let's get to some hockey in the here now. It is the bye week. How was the all-star game for you? Oh, I, I think the All-Star game is always an interesting one for us. You know, it's uh, it's a necessary evil, I think. I think it's important for the guys who do get a chance to go, and especially some of the younger players, which there were plenty of uh, now, you know, to get that feeling of being an All-Star and being the cream of the crop of their peers, um, you know, from a game standpoint. Uh, I, I said it last year, and Bob, I don't know if you watched much of it, but you got to get rid of that passing uh, drill because the, the last thing you want to do is, you, you know, make guys look bad or have guys not want to play and do it or, you know, quit in the middle of it. Uh, but, you know, the, the passing around the net was fine, but that one in the neutral zone where you got to go into a, a net that's about seven inches wide just didn't make sense to me and I think that's where it dragged down but everything else the guys had good attitudes and overall I I think it was something that uh, came off in a positive note. You know it's interesting obviously a big part of the storyline was uh, the fact that uh, one of the American girls uh, in the in terms of the uh, fastest Kendall Kendall, right Uh, how, how tall is she by the way? Oh, 
she would be uh, Johnny Gaudreau, you know, or he, that. she he, she's she's probably about five. Five, I would say. Did you? Because uh, I know you. Were, uh, I mean, the men's, uh, the men, you know, the men's gold medal at the Olympics was not the same, but the women's gold medal has, you know, Canada and the U.S. Yep. And watching that game, the thing that it dawned on me as the game wore on is the Americans have already moved to higher tempo, speed, and skill. And yep. Canada, you know, and I know for a fact that there's fast Canadian players that are undersized that kind of got boxed out of being on the women's uh, national team, and I think that's moving. But I'm yeah. not at all because the U.S. had a couple five foot girls that could fly. Yeah, and, and they dominated the back half of that game as that game wore on. And in a game where there's no contact, I don't think it matters if you're five eight or five foot in the women's game. No, and I, I think that, you know, like everything, though, you, you have to go through your cycle of players. I, I think when you've been as successful as Canada's been um, and you have to make some changes, it's difficult to, you know, there's only Olympics every four years. There's only the World Championships once a year. And uh, so it is at times difficult to bring new people in and maybe be open to somebody who doesn't have the stature, doesn't have the experience. And I think it's a little easier or was a little easier for a five to six year span in the U S because they were chasing and they were growing. Um, but watching Kendall, it was great. Uh, we were doing, uh, you know, sort of dress rehearsal the Thursday when we got in. So we had already seen her skate. Uh, and so we were like, man, she can fly. That was great. And I thought it was a good uh, good thing to do with McKinnon not being able to skate because of his foot. I thought it was a wonderful uh, surprise for the players. Uh, you could tell their reaction who, you know, many of them hadn't seen her the day before. So it was a wide uh, eyes opening of just how talented and how uh, fast she was. It was, a, it was a great moment. Tim out of Rocky Mountain Houses, Texas on our Heartland Ford text line. Bob, I believe she's 5'2", so there you yeah. go. <laughs> but I tell you, you look at Johnny Gaudreau out there, and that that's the relation. He, sure. he doesn't look all that much different from him. Yeah, absolutely. We're joined right now by Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Bob Stoffer with you in Oilers now. It's 1244 at Edmonton. Uh, this text comes in saying, this show's a train wreck today, worst show ever. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for your positive <laughs> reinforcement. Uh, uh, what about Welcome Back, Cotter, back in the day with Vinny Barbarino? Oh, yeah. I, 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 now, that show I liked. That was, I did like that, too, actually, yeah. Yeah, what was it, Up Your Nose with a Rubber Hose? Was that not Gabe Kaplan was the uh, teacher, yeah. yeah. He was good. And he was in uh, arguably one of the worst basketball movies of all time, The Fish Who Saved Wanda. Uh, Darren McGavin, we were being told, was Kolchak, the Night Stalker. He played a reporter that uh, investigated weird things that happened wow. back in the day. So there, there's yeah. your... Uh, I'm pretty sure that was a mid-'70s show. All right, Craig, uh, we're getting people asking us about Andre Sekra, how would we know? The team's been away. Yeah, They're not no. back. And this is this is one of those things. This is completely foreign to your era of players, right? The fact that guys would get like 10 to 12 days off during the middle of the season. Yeah, it's a real oddity. I, I, I can remember even when we got uh, an all-star break off was usually, you know, two and a half, three days like this. Uh, uh, but it is it is an oddity, and as you can tell from your guests who are texting in, they're they're feeling like it's mid summer when there's nothing to talk about right. because nobody's been angry. They haven't had a game to yell at uh, for uh, for a week. So yeah, it is an oddity. Uh, 
uh, with that, Bob, I, I throw a lot of caution. We we know what's at stake now with the team. Yes. You get a break, you get a reset, you come back at it. Um, you can never control the schedule maker, but you look ahead to this weekend and you know, like 1 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon in Philly, and Philly's used to playing on the weekend and playing right. during the day all the time. That's those are two really difficult games with the next one on Sunday in Montreal. So, you know, as much as they've had a time to reboot and hopefully, you know, uh, get the mind a little clearer and a little more focused, this is a really difficult weekend to start things off with again. Well, think about it. So the Oilers hit, just so everybody's aware of this, the Oilers hit the ice tomorrow night, tomorrow night, 5 o'clock until 7. So they're practicing Thursday night. We, because I'm on the plane with them, fly uh, Friday to Philadelphia. So Brandon Escott will be hosting the show. Then they have matinees Saturday and Sunday. Now, they have played a couple matinees in Montreal over the years on uh, Saturdays and Sundays. So they've got a little, but the, the, as you mentioned, the Flyers play those afternoon games all, all the time. The Flyers are used to, from January on, they play pretty much every Saturday or Sunday or one of them, an afternoon game. I'm just saying from getting out of the routine and getting back, you know, I I always felt as a player, Bob, because you're in your your equipment every day, you're in it twice a day most game days. uh, I even felt with three days off, it just felt like you've never worn it before. (laughs) And your skates have never been so dry, you know, all the things that happen with that long. So, it is a sort of shock to the system, and you have to be able to really get your mind back at it. And the, the one thing I will say, you, you mentioned about All-Star Weekend. The, the one guy who had you know, probably the most eyes on him for a number of reasons was Connor. And I thought he handled with really good uh, maturity uh, the firestorm that was around him. You know, usually you go to All-Star Game and you talk about your season yourself, what it means to be an All-Star you know, that first day on Thursday, the media day, was a real, you know, uh, the fevered pitch for the entire league to sort of say, well, you know, what's happening with Connor? Does he, is he upset? Does he want out? And the one thing I would say is watching a little bit of the development and growth of him maturity-wise, he handled that with as a real pro. He handled it if I was his teammate, you know, one that says, okay, you got our backs. Uh, as a teammate, I would also say, okay, we got to really come together here and start uh, building something and be in support. And that could have been another, you know, uh, incident for him that maybe said the wrong thing or didn't react to it well or handled it poorly and it would have been another negative. I, I thought he really showed well and showed his strength uh, that, you know, he wants to grow and continue to be uh, the leader of this team and hopefully he can be the catalyst that can start to turn things around. The irony is if you're around Connor on a day-to-day basis, you already, you know what, you know that? You know what I'm saying, Craig? Like, we, we do, there's never been, this is a guy who went to Erie, okay? There, there have been players, including really good ones that have played in this town, that looked, and part of it's how their school year works there, right? Yeah. Because they've got to, but there are lots of players who avoided going to Erie. Uh, and you know what? You were the first, if I recall correctly, you didn't want to go to Toronto. You told them not to draft you, that it was going to be, you yeah, know. back to school. Back, right? And you would go, but, but so you would, you know, everybody's got their, but at the end of the day, Connor McDavid elected to go to a place which was an unmitigated disaster for the two, like, 
far less competitive in the OHL than the Oilers were during their, their darkest times. And he went there and he helped turn it around. Now, I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams would have believed two years ago, as you were broadcasting Game 7 of Anaheim-Edmonton, yeah. that the Oilers would be in the position that they're in right now. I certainly didn't. Um, mind you, when you dilute the talent base of the team, maybe that's not a surprise. That said, they're only a game under 500, and they're three or four games out of the playoffs. So, th- so I, I was listening to you earlier, Bob, and you had, I think, the, one of uh, Bob Nicholson's quotes right. talking about this team's been good at times. So just looking at the schedule here, you've you got 32 games till yep. the end of the season. You've got to February 25th for the uh, trade deadline. Yep. But I, I look and say, okay, he was mentioning that they've been good at times. So I go back and say, from game three to thirteen, they went eight, two, and one. Right. And so there's a stretch that you say, let's face it: if they have any realistic opportunity to be a playoff team, they have to look at their two best runs. The second best run when Hitch took over from game twenty-one to thirty-three, they went nine, two, and two. Yep. So you put those two. That's that's thirty-two games uh, gone and uh, twenty-four games. Pro- sorry, in that regard, and you go seventeen, four, and three. And so if you look at that 24 games out of 32, you know, that leaves you another eight games that hopefully you can go 500 in there. If you can put your two best streaks together at some point during that, so you look back historically and you say there has been stretches that you've been able to do that. The the challenge, though, is, as everybody knows, you know, now you're at that point of the season where everybody's focused on the stretch run. you got teams who are desperate, so it's a much difficult task. But... If I'm looking from a you know realistic standpoint as a player, as a coach, and trying to get your team to not be looking too far forward and not be looking too far back, you know that has to be the mentality that you have is getting back to the core of saying, well, what were we doing well during that stretch, and how can we try to recreate that in in a 32 game stretch? Well, they had cleft bomb for both those stretches, so that. You know him coming back will help. That's the, he might not be everybody's cup of tea as a top two NHL defenseman, but for the purposes of this team, he's a top two NHL defenseman. I'd caution against the belief that he could step in and play 25 minutes right away. But when he comes back, I think he could play 20 to 22 minutes, and everybody gets slotted in a better spot. So they also need both goalies to play well. At least, yeah, and at that'll, least. that'll be a you know if I if you're again taking a realism pill and saying, okay, can they actually make the playoffs? You do have a wild card in, in, in Connor, Leon, and even, you know, I, I would argue that Nugent Hopkins needs to get his game. Both, all three of those top guys have to play at their absolute best. And, you know, maybe it's unfair to say, okay, you can only win with two or three guys, but let's look around and the cavalry's not coming to save you. So those are the guys that have to go, but it does, start and begin uh, and end in goal as well. So you're, you're right. If, if you realistically think you can be a playoff team, you need all those things going well, but you need the goaltender to be either A or A-plus, you know, on 80 to 90% of those nights. I mean, you got three guys right now, Craig. You got McDavid with 73 points in 49 games. That's the highest point per game total he's had yep. through this stage in his career. You got Drysettle with 61 and 50, highest point per game at this stage uh, in any season through his career. And Nugent Hopkins with 46 and 50. Again, same for him. That's the most points he's had through 50 games at any point in his career. 
you got three guys having career years, right? This yeah. is this is where one of the things that's going to happen for the new manager is he has to find a way to provide greater scoring depth. And I'm going to defer to a guy that two years ago I laughed at, and I was wrong, and he ultimately proved to be right, and that's Dom decision from The Athletic. And part of his model is based on depth scoring. And yeah. that is why he had the Oilers missing the playoffs last year and having a significant mean regression from the year before. And why he had the orders outside looking in basically right where they're at right now was you know Bob I've done uh, I guess the final since like 2008 so 10 11 years and it's amazing every year when you look at the teams that are in the finals typically the team that wins but even the team that gets there and inevitably doing those games and going through those playoffs watching them you go most notably there are six to seven guys who have career seasons during that. Yep, yep. And the, 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 the reality, though, it's not always your top guy. Yep. And, you know, that is your point right there, that there are in some instances you look and say, okay, Malkin had his career year and they won the Stanley Cup, or so-and-so, Stamkos, if they, if they can get there, you know, Kucherov's having his career year. But inevitably, so many of those teams had six core guys. Sure. Usually, usually a defensive, uh, you know, offensive defenseman guy has a career year, or a second line, or a second right winger, or a third line, and all sort of secondary guys who have had career years, and that's where it does line up. So I, I think that premise is very much alive in terms of, you know, even go back two years ago, sure, uh, when the Oilers were in, that's very much how it played out, is it not? Well, they their top two lines that finished the year that because they didn't finish the Anaheim series this way, but McDavid yeah. with uh, Maroon and Nugent or er, and Drysaitel, and then uh, Nugent Hopkins with Everly and Lucic. The only player I believe that missed a game was Maroon the last game of the year with a back issue. Those other so they all played every game of the year, and then Clefbaum played all eighty-two games, and Sekera played eighty. That's yeah. their top two defensemen. So there's an illustration right there. Craig, where are you this week? Uh, I've got the Penguins in Toronto. How about if Jenny Malkin, like he's like minus 17 or 18 or 19 this year. Like he's Yeah, you know, I just looked at their numbers too, and they've been in that little stretch, giving up six, giving up five, giving up six. Yeah. So uh, there's that ups and downs of, you know, the, the reality though is good teams usually can snap out of it. And with those 30 games left, they can go, you know, nine, 10 games over 500. And that'll be the challenge for Edmonton. Can they snap that and turn that around and, and finish, like I said, with that 17, four and three in those 24 games. Great, great stuff. Thank you for your time. All right, Bob. Take care. Take care. From NHL Hockey and Rogers, that's Craig Simpson. This March, take the family to the beach during spring break with great deals, fun in the sun destinations, Puerto Vallarta, Riviera Maya, Honolulu, ranges between $1,550 and $1,900. These four- and five-star packages include accommodations, airfare, taxes, parking at the Valley Park at the Edmonton International Airport. For reservations, call the travel experts at New West Travel or book online at newwesttravel.com. We're going to take an eight-minute break. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Back with Mike Zanier, former Edmonton Oilers goaltender, now Swedish hockey television analyst to talk about the Oilers signing a Joel Person. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.